Holy Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege to be among the living today. We glorify your name because we know that it is your love and mercy that you have given us this privilege of life. Our righteousness and our good works and holiness cannot qualify us to be here today. Therefore, Lord, we worship you. We know that the best praise and glory that we can give to you is to consecrate our lives to your service, to live in harmony with your will. But of our own selves alone, we cannot do it. Therefore, we pray, please, Lord, send to us the gift of your spirit that you would help us, Lord, to face the battles for today. And we ask, Lord, that the words which we are going to hear in our devotion for today as we fellowship with you will be blessing to us. Put your words in my mouth that I may speak these blessings. Satisfy our hungry souls, Lord. Help us, Lord, to abide in you. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, July 13, Disgraceful Monuments. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, as an error which proceeded from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 5 and 6. In the days of King Josiah, a strange appearance could be seen opposite the temple of God. Crowning the eminence of the Mount of Olives, peering above the groves of myrtle and olive trees, were unseemly gigantic idols. Josiah gave commandment that these idols should be destroyed. This was done and the broken fragments rolled down the channel of the Kidron. Um, the shrines were left a mass of ruins. But the question was asked by many a devout worshipper, how came that architecture on the opposite side of the Jehoshaphat ravine, thus impiously confronting the temple of God? The truthful answer must be made. The builder was Solomon the greatest king that ever wielded a scepter. These idols bore testimony that he who had been honored and applauded as the wisest among kings became a humiliating wreck. His once noble character, bold and true for God and righteousness, became deteriorated. His profligate expenditure for selfish indulgence made him the instrument of Satan's devices. His conscience became hardened. His conduct as a judge changed from equity and righteousness to tyranny and oppression. Solomon tried to incorporate light with darkness, Christ with Belial, purity with impurity. But in the place of converting the heathen to the truth, pagan sentiments incorporated themselves with his religion, he became an apostate. The marks of Solomon's apostasy lived ages after him. In the days of Christ, the worshippers in the temple could look 
just opposite them upon the mount of offense and be reminded that the builder of their rich and glorious temple, the most renowned of all kings, had separated himself from God and reared altars to hidden idols, that the mightiest ruler on earth had failed in ruling his own spirit. Solomon went down to death, a repentant man. But his repentance and tears could not efface from the mount of offense the signs of his miserable departure from God. Ruined walls and broken pillars bore silent witness for a thousand years to the apostasy of the greatest king that ever sat upon an earthly throne. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Disgraceful Monuments. And it's the final one we'll be looking at as we examine the life of King Solomon. What are the disgraceful monuments being referred to? It is the same one that we have talked about that Solomon built for all his wives. The Bible records that Solomon loved many women. And not just godly women. He loved carnal women women that were ungodly. He loved the aesthetics. He loved their outward beauty. He loved what they looked like in their body and he went after them. 700 wives, 300 concubines and the record says that every one of these wives, Solomon built an altar for them. He built the groves and the shrines for them to worship their hidden gods. Solomon must have felt that in doing this for them, he was going to win their heart. He must have felt that by uniting with them and not opposing them, he will show them how nice and how kind he is. And that by doing that, that they will love him and they will see how he doesn't oppose their gods. Therefore, it may be that by erecting this monument for them, then they will love him. By making this shrine for them, then they will see how good the God of heaven is and then they will forsake their God. Brothers and sisters, we must learn the lesson that we cannot, by disobedience to God, convert a sinner to righteousness. In erecting these disgraceful monuments for his wives, Solomon disobeyed God. The end can never justify the means. The Bible records in the book of 1 Kings chapter 14 concerning these disgraceful monuments from verse 22. This is after the death of of Solomon. It says, And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they had committed above all their fathers had done. For they also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also Sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Do you know who this is referring to, this text I just read? It is referring to a man called Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. I, I read it because I want us to see the kind of things that had happened in Solomon's day that was continued by Rehoboam. Verse 23 says, They also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. And then verse 24 says, There were also what? Sodomites in the land. Let that give us a picture of the kind of worship 
that was being done by Solomon and his wives. He first of all built these shrines for his wives, but it didn't stop there. The Bible tells us that Solomon himself joined them in worshipping these gods. And not, not only did he just go there to worship in bowing down to idols, the worship services of these gods are cruel. And not only cruel in the sense of sacrificing their children to idols, but they are, they are debasing in the sense of the practices that are done in those shrines. They were sodomites in the land. Reading from Prophets and Kings, page 58, it says concerning Solomon. From being one of the greatest kings that ever wielded a scepter, Solomon became a profligate, the tool and slave of others. Wow, do you hear that? This man that was highly recognized, the greatest king, became a slave to others. So you can imagine the kind of things that were going on in that shrine, the kind of things that the priests of those shrines would tell Solomon to do and he would obey them. See how low he brought himself to. We'll read more. It says, his character, once noble and manly, became elevated and effeminate. That's what I want us to look at. I take it again. His character, once noble and manly, became elevated and what? Effeminate. His faith in the living God was supplanted by atheistic doubts. Unbelief marred his happiness, weakened his principles, and degraded his life. The justice and magnanimity of his early reign were changed to despotism and tyranny. Poor, frail human nature. God can do little for men who lose their sense of dependence upon him. I'll continue the reading, but let us sink this in our minds. There were Sodomites in the land. Solomon became effeminate. What does that tell us? It tells us of the kind of kinds of practices that were brought in through these idolatrous um, shrines that Solomon built in Israel. He went into practices that made him to become effeminate. That is what Solomon became. Continuing, it says, During the years of apostasy, the spiritual decline of Israel progressed steadily. How could it be otherwise when their king had united his interest with satanic agencies? Through these agencies, the enemy worked to confuse the minds of the Israelites in regard to the true and false worship, and they became an easy prey. Commerce with other nations brought them into intimate contact with those who had no love for God, and their own love for him was greatly lessened. Their keen sense of the high, holy character of God was deadened. Refusing to follow in the path of obedience, they transferred their allegiance to the enemy of righteousness. It came to be a common practice to intermarry with idolaters, and the Israelites rapidly lost their abhorrence of idol worship. Polygamy was countenanced. Idolatrous mothers brought their children up to observe hidden rites. In the lives of some, the pure religious service instituted by God was replaced by idolatry of the darkest hue. Christians are to keep themselves distinct and separate from the world, its spirit, and its influences. God is fully able to keep us in the world, but we are not to be of the world. His love is not uncertain and fluctuating. Ever he watches out over his children with a care that is measureless, but he requires undivided allegiance. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. 
Solomon was endued with wonderful wisdom, but the world drew him away from God. Men today are no stronger than he. Oh, I wish that we can understand. When we look at the life of Solomon, remember, remember that you are no wiser than him. If you venture to go into things that are a temptation, going against the word of God that says that we should make no provision for the flesh to fulfill is lost thereof and make no friends with the wicked. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Solomon, the wise king, could not go against these laws. It corrupted him. What do you think it will do to you? I'll continue the reading. Men today are no stronger than Solomon. They are as prone to yield to the influences that caused his downfall. As God warned Solomon of his danger, so today he warns his children not to imperil their souls by affinity with the world. Come out from among them, he pleads, and be ye separate. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. End of quote. Hmm. There's a song that we were taught when we were younger. We were told, Oh my brother, oh my sister, do you think that you are very wise? That you cannot listen to God? Look at Solomon who was very wise. The love of woman brought him down. And then the song goes again to say, Oh my brother, oh my sister, do you think that you are very strong? That you cannot listen to God? Look at David who was very strong. Lots of women brought him down. And then the song repeats itself, Oh my brother, oh my sister, do you think that you are very strong? That you cannot listen to God? Look at Samson who was very strong. Lots of women brought him down. This is the message for the Lord from the Lord to us today. One never knows what they can be once they give in to the control of Satan. We have the Lord to thank that he fights battles for us. Solomon dabbled with idolatry. He parleyed with the devil. Out of curiosity and for his fleshly pleasures, he threw caution to the wind and decided to play games with Satan, matching his wisdom with Satan's own. He came out the worse. We cannot venture on Satan's grounds with the hope that we can play games, take risks, and come out unscathed. Solomon trusted to his wisdom. I want to repeat that. Solomon trusted to his wisdom. Do you know why the Lord permitted Solomon to go this far? The Lord would have tried to stop him, but he let Solomon go far as, as far as this to be a warning to all of us that your wisdom can never protect you. Your intelligence, your spirituality will never be a protection for you in the day that you venture needlessly, carelessly to go on Satan's grounds. When you think yourself being, exalt yourself to the point where you think that these laws don't apply to me. Did not, didn't Solomon know that he was not supposed to marry women that were hidden? He knew. But he thought he was too wise that it did not apply to him. That he knew how to do things in such a way that he will win them over to God. Deuteronomy 7 was before him where it was commanded, Do not give your daughters to them, neither marry their daughters, for they will turn you away from worshipping me. Solomon thought that he would do this. He had done it with Pharaoh's daughter and got away with it. If he had just stopped at that, it would have been a deception even worse to us that we think that, oh, since Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter and she got converted, therefore it's an excuse for the rest of us. But God let him go on and married many other women. And what was the end of it? 
he was brought down to a piece of bread an effeminate man a slave in that idolatrous shrine you can imagine the priest telling him do this and do that and solomon will just do anything they're asking him to do like a slave telling them yes sir yes sir doing everything they're asking him to do that was what solomon became because he left the lord he came out the worst solomon trusted to his wisdom others trust to their righteousness and others trust their life years of experience thinking that it will save them from ruin or that they have studied the matter so well that they can venture on satan's grounds and come out without wounds this is not the case our enemy is a mighty general and the wisest person is the one who realizes their weakness enough to stay farthest away from anything that has the potential to bring him or down you see what solomon did with his wife with these women was what we call today flirting to convert what is flirting flirting is when we say this thing is not really a sin you see those who flirt want to know how far they can go in getting close to temptation without falling they want to know how close they can be to the precipice without falling over the cliff edge they want to know what risks can be taken without it being termed a sin when you find yourself doing this you are doing that flirting and in solomon's case it was flirting to convert what was the result of solomon's flirting with sin he built disgraceful monuments in the days of josiah it was seen how terrible this was and this was many years after solomon second Kings chapter 23 reading from verse 5 says and he put down that's josiah put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of judah and the places round about jerusalem them also that burned incense unto baal to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the hosts of heaven where did these men come from in judah let's keep reading in verse 6 now it says and he that's josiah brought out the grove from the house of the lord without jerusalem unto the brook kidron and burned it at the brook kidron and stamped it small to powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people and he break down the houses of the sodomites that were by the house of the lord where the woman wove hangings for the grove the sodomites were in the land solomon was practicing things that was introduced to him by his idolatrous wives sexual practices that are a perversion of the ordained method of god shameful monuments to remind anyone of the danger of flirting with sin solomon was dallying with the devil and came off the worse we must have a humble opinion of ourselves and not take upon ourselves responsibilities that is not our work at times when working for god even when we don't intentionally place ourselves in the way of temptation we are still in danger and we even in this case must constantly abide in christ if not we will be overthrown by temptation reading from gospel workers of 1892 page 203 it says you need to cultivate watchfulness and humility and to be diligent in prayer the nearer you live to god the more clearly will you discern your weaknesses and dangers a practical view of the law of God and clear discernment of the atonement of Christ will give you a knowledge of yourselves and will show you wherein you fail to perfect Christian character. In a degree, you overlook the necessity of having a divine influence constantly with you. This is positively necessary in doing the work of God. If you neglect this and pass on in self-confidence and self-sufficiency, you will be left to make very great blunders i take that line again it's for us today if you neglect this what is the this being referred to that is make having a practical view of the law of god 
clear discernment of the atonement of Christ in knowledge of ourselves so that we will see our weaknesses. This is the thing that we must have in our mind. We must constantly see our weaknesses. And that is what is being referred to here that is positively necessary in doing the work of God. Continuing the reading, we are told, if we neglect this and pass on in self-confidence and self-sufficiency, you will be left to make great blunders. You need constantly to cherish lowliness of mind and the spirit of dependence. He who feels his own weakness will look higher than himself and will feel the need of constant strength from above. The grace of God will lead him to exercise and cherish a spirit of constant gratitude. He who is best acquainted with his own weakness will know that it is the matchless grace of God alone that will triumph over the rebellion of the heart. You need to become acquainted with the weak as well as the strong points in your characters that you may be constantly guarded lest you engage in enterprises and assume responsibilities for which God has never designed you. You should not compare your actions and measure your lives by any human standard but with the rule of duty revealed in the Bible. Amen. End of quote. So, what was it that Solomon did here? Self-confidence is what led Solomon to do what he did. Self-sufficiency. And the Lord made him, left him to make great blunders. And he assumed upon himself a work that the Lord never sent him to do. There are people who today think that they can win souls by attending the services of other people who are inviting them to sell to things that are not of God. There are parents who think that they can win their rebellious children or their children who are not in the faith by doing the bidding of these children, spending money on things that are not good. Maybe your child is not in the faith and your child wants to do a business that is not good and you know that business is not good and you are trying to win him into the faith. Do not think like Solomon that by building disgraceful monuments for your child that you will win his heart and thinking that you are trying to draw him close to you. You don't want him to run away or you don't want her to run away from you. Therefore, you build the disgraceful monuments by giving them money for that business. Maybe they want to do a business of something that is not in harmony with the will of God. It could be to be an actor or to be a worldly musician or it could be a business that they say daddy i want you to give me money to sponsor myself in a particular study that you know very well it's not in harmony with the word of god do you know that when you are giving them money for that thing you are building disgraceful monuments can you defend it and say solomon was wrong solomon built altars for his wives do you think he was doing it just because he loved to build the altars he thought he was going to convert them. He was flirting to convert. And you also may be thinking that you are trying to convert your child or your spouse or your friend and you give them funds or you do things for them that are not in harmony with God's will by whatsoever means. You cannot convert them by doing things that are wrong. In doing that, you are sponsoring the evil. And when you sponsor the evil, how can you say that you are doing the will of God? Is the money your own? Is it not God's money? Will God use his money to build disgraceful monuments by sponsoring your children or your friend or your spouse in something that you know is not in harmony with the will of God? Do not build disgraceful monuments by giving your wife the money or your husband the 
thing that they said they want that is not in harmony with God's will. Do not build disgraceful monuments by giving your child the forms for that thing that you know is not good, that is no different from the idolatrous shrines that Solomon built for his wives. What goes on in that or in the theater that your child is going to that you are sponsoring them to go to? What is really going on there? Your child perhaps wants to go and do uh, um, the American Idol and you want to sponsor them in those things. What is happening in that place? Is it any different from what was happening in the shrines that Solomon built? And when you join them or sponsor them in doing those things, you are no different. You are joining them in doing the evil and you are building disgraceful monuments. We need to withdraw our help and our funds and our assistance from things that are not in harmony with God's will. For when we do that, we are building disgraceful monuments. And it's only a matter of time. You may look at yourself today and say, there's no way I'm going to join my wife or my husband in this nonsense he's doing, or my child or my friend in this thing that they are doing. You may say so and tell yourself that you have good intentions in doing what you are doing. That's how Solomon felt. You don't know what tomorrow will be when you are old like Solomon and you will join them in the evil that they are practicing and you will stop seeing evil for what it is and like Solomon you will, you will make great blunders. How do we know when we are becoming self-confident? It is when we reject a plain thought said the Lord just because we it doesn't harmonize with our feelings or the way we see things and we say no I have a better way of doing things and you want to do it the way you feel is right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Did the Lord ask you to do that? In anything you are doing, there must be a thought said the Lord. That is what it means to abide in Christ. And if we are not abiding in Christ, we will make great blunders as laborers together with God. It is important that we constantly abide in Christ. This alone will preserve us and make us successful as we work to save souls. Solomon flattered himself that he wanted to save souls of hidden women. He was flirting to convert instead of fleeing to convert. Many Christians do this today. They flirt to convert. We are not the one who does the converting. It is the Holy Spirit. How do you know you are flirting? That is when you, like I said before, go close to the precipice, taking risks to see how close to sin you can get without committing the sin itself. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22 tells us, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. God never called us to date the world, but to win the world. He didn't call us to date those, to be in relationships with those who we want to convert. This is flirting to convert. We were never called to convert that girl or that boy, that worldly man, through dating them and being in relationships with them. Joseph ran away with the, from his seducer. He didn't see it as a time to pray. The instruction is to flee sexual immorality. Proverbs 16 verse 6 tells us, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. You see, the excuses that many give today for going close to the men of the world and women of the world is what tells you that they are flirting. Oh, some of them say, oh, can't you see he's so hot? But do you know that <laughs> hell is also hot? She's so beautiful, some of them say. So are Satan and his angels. Those who flirt to convert and it turned out right are not an example for us. They are exemptions to the rule. 
People do bad things and get away with it, but that doesn't make it right. We are not to fight against lust in greater in the greater sense of a giant where it exists and overcoming it, but we are to flee lusts. Solomon did not flee from his lusts. He came close to it. He embraced it. Like I said, many people want to give examples today. I know this, my brother. I know that man. Or I know that woman. He married an unbeliever. She married an unbeliever. If you see their family, they are so good. If you see their family, they are so nice. They are godly. They are following after the Lord. Some people jump off a cliff and survive. Does that make them an example for people to jump off a cliff? There are people who go into accidents and come out of the accident. Some people are burned with fire and they don't die. There are people who they put a gun on their head and shot it and it didn't pass through the skull and eventually they did not die. They survived it. Does that mean that everybody is going to survive the gunshot on the head or the accident or jumping off a cliff? Why then are you using the example of somebody who jumped off a cliff or put a gun on their head and survived it as an example for other people to follow? They are exceptions to the rule. They are not the example. They are not the ideal. Do not hold on to the exception thinking that you also are going to jump off a cliff and you'll survive it or that you'll put a gun on your head and you'll survive it. You will not survive it. Because in the long run, because you did it by following the wrong example, the Lord will make sure that what happened to Solomon will most likely happen to you. Because you had knowledge, you knew what you were supposed to do and you didn't do it. And you ventured to presume to do something that is not in harmony with God's will. Flee fornication is what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18. Reading from Ministry of Healing, page 510, from 509 to 5, page 509, we are told, The temptations to which we are daily exposed make prayer a necessity. Dangers beset every path. Those who are seeking to rescue others from vice and ruin are especially exposed to temptation. In constant contact with evil, they need a strong hold upon God, lest they themselves be corrupted. Short and decisive are the steps that lead men down from high and holy ground to a low level. In a moment, decisions may be made that fix one's condition forever. One failure to overcome leaves the soul unguarded. One evil habit if not firmly resisted, will strengthen into chains of steel, blinding the whole man. The reason why so many are left to themselves in places of temptation is that they do not set the Lord always before them. When we permit our communion with God to be broken, take note, this is a solution to ensure that as ministers for God as Solomon was, as laborers together with God, as his disciples, we do not fall into sin while trying to save the sinner. Because that's what Solomon was doing. He was trying to save the sinner, but he himself fell into sin. But what was the reason? He went in his own method. He did not trust in the Lord with all his heart. He did not lean on God's understanding. He was leaning on his own understanding. And the Lord did not direct his part and he made great blunders. He was not abiding in Christ. And if we do the same thing like Solomon, in our self-confidence, neglect the word of God, we are not trusting in God, we go about in our own intelligence doing what we think is right, we will make great blunders like him. The solution is abiding in Christ. How do we abide in Christ? Is what I'm reading right now. When we permit our communion with God to be broken, our defense is departed from us. Not all your good purposes and good intentions will enable you to withstand evil. You must be men and women of prayer. 
your petitions must not be faint, occasional and fitful, but earnest, persevering and constant. It is not always necessary to bow upon your knees in order to pray. Cultivate the habit of talking with the Savior when you are alone, when you are walking and when you are busy with your daily labor. Let the heart be continually uplifted in silent petition for help, for light, for strength, for knowledge. Let every breath be a prayer. As workers for God, we must... Okay, let me stop here first and explain. What we have just read now is telling us our good purposes, Solomon's good purposes did not save him. And even us too. You may have good intentions in going to visit that sister. You may have good intentions in going to visit that brother. You may have good intentions in building that disgraceful monument for your son or your daughter who requested it of you. You may have good intentions in doing it for your wife. But that good intention will not save you. You are doing wrong by building the disgraceful monument. What do I mean? I've said it earlier but I want to be sure that the message is properly gotten. The building of the disgraceful monument is the support, is the funds that you give to that friend, to that brother, to that daughter or son or sister to do something that you know is not in harmony with God's will. That is the building of the disgraceful monument. Your wife wants you to buy something for the house that you know is not good and you buy the movies. Disgraceful monument there. Or they want you to sponsor your son into theater arts or to build something for your child or your, your daughter, something that you know is not good, going to Hollywood or trying to be the worldly musician. When you are building that thing for them, you are building a disgraceful monument. It is not only going to affect your son, it did not only affect Solomon's wife, it affected him too. So when you are doing that, it will affect you too. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In your understanding, you may be saying, I'm trying to help my son. I'm trying to make sure my daughter doesn't go away from me. I'm trying to ensure that my wife sees that I love her. That's why I'm doing it. I'm trying to ensure that my husband does not see me or see Christianity as this religion that is so anti uh, is intolerant of other people's views. That's the reason I'm doing it. I'm trying to show them that we are tolerant. Is that what the Lord asked you to do with his money? You are trying to prove that they are tolerant. Are you more tolerant than God? Will God do that thing you are doing? Will God ever build any studio or send you to theater arts or buy those movies for you? Will God ever do that? Are you now wiser than him? Are you more tolerant than him? No, you cannot be. But when you are doing that, you are now leaning on your own understanding. You are not trusting the Lord with all your heart. We must abide in Christ. Do not permit our communion with him to go away. When we stop praying, when we stop studying his word and allowing him to speak to us, we are going to make great blunders. I continue the reading now. It says, as workers for God, we must reach men where they are, surrounded with darkness, sunken in vice, and stained with corruption. But while we stay our minds upon him who is our son and our shield, the evil that surrounds us will not bring one stain upon our garments. As we work to save the souls that are ready to perish, we shall not be put to shame if we make God our trust. Trust in the Lord, remember. Christ in the heart, Christ in the life, this is our safety. The atmosphere of his presence will fill the soul with abhorrence of all that is evil. Our spirit may be so identified with his that in thought and aim we shall be one with him. It was true faith and prayer that Jacob from being a man of feebleness and sin became a prince with God. It is thus that you may become men and women who will not for any consideration be swayed from the truth 
right, and justice. All are pressed with urgent cares, burdens, and duties. But the more difficult your position and the heavier your burdens, the more you need Jesus. End of quote. Nothing is more needed in our work than the practical results of communion with God. We should show by our daily lives that we have peace and rest in the Savior. His peace in the heart will shine forth in the countenance. It will give to the voice a persuasive power. Communion with God will ennoble the character and the life. Men will take knowledge of us as of the first disciples that we have been with Jesus. This will impart to the worker a power that nothing else can give. Of this power, he must not allow himself to be deprived. We must live a twofold life, a life of thought and action, of silent prayer and earnest work. The strength received through communion with God, united with earnest effort in training the mind to thoughtfulness and caretaking, prepares one for daily duties and keeps the spirit in peace under all circumstances, however trying. End of quote. Amen. The Lord said to us in 1 John 3 verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him, sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. To abide in Christ is to have Christ dwelling in you. What does it mean to have Christ dwelling in me? Should I take the human Christ and put him inside me? No, it means to allow his word to abide in me. 1 John 3 verse 8 and 9 tells us the result of abiding in Christ. It says, He that committed sin is all of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This abiding in Christ is so important. If we go to do labor for God and we are not abiding in Christ, communing with Him, constantly having the Lord ever before us, remembering that the Lord is there to watch us, we will fall like Solomon did and make great blunders. First, um, the book of John 15 from verse 1 explains to us what it means to abide in Christ. It says, I am the true vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that he may bring forth more fruit. Going on in verse 4, he said, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? It's for his word to abide in us. Allowing his words to be the counsel for us, to follow it as it is spoken, not to depend on your own intelligence. Forget about what you were taught in the schools, telling you this is how to do things. Follow the word of God as it is written and do what it says in faith. This day with God, page 140, paragraph 4 says, Our first and highest duty is to know that we are abiding in Christ. He must do the work. What does it mean to abide in Christ? We are to seek to know. What saith the Lord, yielding our lives to his guidance, when we have the spirit of an abiding Christ, everything will take on a changed aspect. The Savior alone can give us rest and peace, the rest and peace we so much 
need. And in every invitation he gives us to seek the Lord that he may be found of us, he is calling us to abide in him. This is an invitation, not merely to come to him, but to remain in him. It is the Spirit of God that moves us to come. When we have this rest and peace, our daily worries will not lead us to be coarse and rough and uncourteous. We shall no longer follow our own way and will. We will want to do the will of God, abiding in Christ as the branches in the vine. End of quote. Brothers and sisters, abiding in Christ, you must follow his will and his way. Solomon was not abiding in Christ when he was building those disgraceful monuments. He was following his own way, thinking that that would be the way to bring converts to, the, uh, to God. But it didn't work out. The same will happen to us if we do not abide in Christ. Let us learn our lessons. Have you built disgraceful monuments and you see them around you, leading other people astray? You bought those DVDs and those movies and it has led other people astray? You know, as we were reading our devotion, Towards the end of it, we were told, The marks of Solomon's apostasy lived ages after him. In the days of Christ, the worshippers in the temple could look just opposite them upon the Mount of Offense and be reminded that the builder of their rich and glorious temple, the most renowned of all kings, had separated himself from God and reared altars to hidden idols, that the mightiest ruler on earth had failed in ruling his own spirit. Solomon went down to death, a repentant man, but his repentance and tears could not efface from the Mount of Offense the signs of his miserable departure from God. Ruined walls and broken pillars bore silent witness for a thousand years to the apostasy of the greatest king that ever sat upon an earthly throne. But I would like to remind us that we can do something. Like I have said in previous devotions, Solomon wrote something that is a not a disgraceful monument now, but he built a glorious monument, more glorious than the temple that he built in those days. Do you know what those monuments are? It is the book of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes and the Songs of Solomon. Thank God those monuments have outlived his disgraceful monuments in Jerusalem. Thank God that these monuments of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Songs of Solomon has spread wider than the disgraceful monument he built in Jerusalem. And you also can do the same thing. You may have built a disgraceful monument and you cannot efface the effect that it is having right now on your spouse or your children or your friends or in the world in general. But now you can, like Solomon, write a book. You can, like Solomon, immortalize the knowledge of God in books and share them. Even if you don't write a book, you can immortalize the truth by buying books and the Bible and sharing it all around the world for people to read. And preaching the word of God like Solomon did, he became a preacher before his death. And I tell you, even though he had this disgraceful monument, his work in writing the book of Ecclesiastes and, and Songs of Solomon and Proverbs has done greater work than the work he did in leading many people astray. It is helping us today. And you can do the same by blessing others with the truth. You may not be a preacher like him. You may not be one who can write like him. But you can at least buy the books and share to people. Get the tracts and share to people. Give a word in season. Undo the evil that you have done and it will go a long way. And that's why Solomon himself said in the book of Ecclesiastes, reading chapter 11 from verse 1, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth, and if the tree fall toward the south, 
or toward the north in the place where the tree falleth there it shall be he that observeth the wind shall not sow and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap as thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child even so knowest not the works of god who maketh all so the advice is this verse 6 in the morning sow thy seed what does it mean to sow a seed the seed is the word of god you don't know who is going to hear buy the books preach the word of god share the tracts you don't know who is going to change in the morning sow thy seed and in the evening withhold not thine hand for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that or whether they both shall be alike good we come we've come now to looking at the end of the life of the greatest king that ever lived in the sense of wealth and magnificence he's not the greatest in the sense of achievement uh, in, in the eyes of God and the lessons we have learned I pray may stay in our minds and transform our lives and give us peace, give us hope and comfort 1st Corinthians 10 reading from verse 11 tells us that these things were written for examples upon us upon us whom the end of the world is come Romans 15 verse 4 tells us now all these things were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope and I hope that we have been comforted and we have hope through the life of Solomon. That if we go astray by the grace of God, we can come back. If we build these graceful monuments, we can do something to undo it. But do not build them in the first place. Do not make the mistakes. Stop on your tracks and stop being a bad influence to others. May the Lord help us. Let us pray. Dear Lord in heaven, please forgive us for the disgraceful monuments that we have built. Help us to undo the work we have done. By, in, by following on now to build noble, glorious monuments for the Lord in doing labor for God. As Solomon became a preacher, help us, Lord, to become laborers together with you in whichever way possible. And we pray, Lord, that everyone whom we have had a bad influence on, that you forgive us for it and help us to see what we can do to undo it. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, for your love and patience towards us. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. 